0: Scripture reading tonight will be taken from Joshua 2 verse 1. <clears throat> then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shechem saying, "Go view the land, especially Jericho." So they went and came to the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Thank you, you may be seated. Good evening. It's good to see you. For those of you that are visiting with us today, I'm not the uh, normal preacher, Jim Laws is, and he is holding a meeting tonight in uh, at the Handling Congregation in Fort Worth this week, and so let's be in prayer for him, and uh, wish them the very best. I know they're going to hear some good preaching. Thank you, Jonathan, for those good songs. Thank you for the prayers that have been led. And if you'll stay there in Joshua chapter 2, that's going to be the uh, the bulk of our study. And tonight is a just a case study of a woman, a harlot named Rahab. And I want to say this from the very get-go, I'm not trying to be insensitive or anything, but I have read things, and perhaps you have too, that she wasn't really a harlot, she was an innkeeper. And uh, we can polish that up and spruce that up all we can, but the fact is she was a harlot. And we're going to look at that, what that meant, and I want you to know in 1 Corinthians 6 we read and we find out that Christians of the first century were a lot of things and they weren't good, were they? And perhaps some of us have had our feet in some uh, unsavory water sometime or another in our life. But you know, this is a, this is a hospital that we're in tonight. You know, if we were all righteous and we were all uh, uh, squeaky clean, we might have the idea that we didn't need to be here. But I trust that you feel like me and that you know that you uh, fall short of the glory of God and that we need to be here. And we're thankful for a Lord and Savior that loves us in spite of who we we once were or who we sometimes are. Well, we're in Joshua chapter 2. And this book of Joshua is a story of the promised conquest of Canaan. This land had been promised to the children of Israel for over 400 years. And now it is happening. The conquest of the the, uh, land that flowed with milk and honey is coming about. Two Canaanite kings had already been destroyed. And their lands had been captured and given to the Israelites. These kings, Sion and Og, and their kingdoms lay on the east bank of the Jordan River. And now Joshua and Israel would cross the Jordan and begin their conquest of Canaan on the West Bank. The great city of Jericho was in their sights, and Joshua sends out two spies to re the city. So that's where we're at. Two spies have been sent out, and they are going to come back and give a report to Joshua about the taking of the great city of Jericho. Normally I kind of add, I mean, kind of just... Go over and hit the high points, but I think for tonight I'd like to read the chapter, chapter 2. It it says it better than I can. There's a little detail there, so let's just read together, would you? Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came to uh, to the house of the harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, "Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered in your house, for they have come to search out all the country." Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, "Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know from where they were from." And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out, and where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, San and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in one because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also with which will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token, and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that I have, and deliver our lives. Death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into this land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household to your home own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head, And we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you've made us swear. Then she said, according to the words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descending from the mountain and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Well, I want to look at some of the verses in that chapter, and uh, study some of those things. Looking at this woman and looking at these spies, Joshua had sent out two young men. He doesn't say that here, but in chapter six, verse three, we find that they were young men that he sent out, and there was a reason for that. Several reasons I can think of. One, they probably had to swim the Jordan. It was a it was a springtime; the flax had been uh, had uh, had uh, uh, come off on its crop and. The Jordan at that time of the year usually uh, was in a flood state, and these men perhaps had to, uh, to cross this, and, 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 uh, because, and, and their youth would have helped them in that. Secondly, and I want us I to think of the, the, uh, the reason for this. These young men were in a foreign country for them, and uh, everybody had heard about the Israelites, what had happened in Egypt, what had happened to these Amorite kings just across the river. And so any Israelite in, that, in, in the land of Canaan would have been suspicious. And this harlot no doubt was a young woman. I think there's some indication of that. We'll look later on. We'll see that. And so I want you to think about this. These two young men could have gone to that house of prostitution And it wouldn't have raised a flag in the culture of the day. Young men going to this house of ill repute to see this woman. Now, being righteous men, no, we wouldn't do that. And and we think about it, but this is a ruse. Keep this in mind. This is a ruse. And the purpose is just like the king had feared. They came to spy out the land. And so that was, uh, and that's where the information they could have gotten would have been from her. So that's, I'm not trying to soft soap it, but that's just probably the case of it there. There's also an indication in verse, um, uh, also in uh, verse two and three, we see that uh, that these men had gone out, and and the king of Jericho wanted these children of Israel. Any Israelite in that land would have brought on suspicious, even though they might have, in his mind, just gone to uh, to pleasure themselves or, or whatever. But still, it was told to him they're Israelites in the city tonight, and. They, he was also told they could be spies, and he believed that they were spies. And there's another thing, you know, when I think about spies, I'm reminded of 40 years earlier. There had been 12 spies that been out. And you look in Numbers 13 and 14, uh, Moses had come, and through the instruction of God, he had chosen a, a lead man from each of the 12 tribes. And it really turned out disastrous, if you'll remember it. And what's funny, Joshua was, was one of those young men 40 years prior to this. He, he was one of those spies that had gone out, him and Caleb and ten others. But the ten others gave a bad report. They said that they were the Anaki there, that the giants were there. And the land truly did flow with milk and honey. And it really was going to be a prosperous place, but we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And they would squash us, and they would conquer us, and they were fearful. And then they rose up, and they told their congregation, and Joshua and Caleb had had defied everything they said, and they said, God's with us. We can take this place. He's promised it to us. But the ten were persuasive, and it invoked God's wrath. And God reminded Moses, think about what I did in Egypt for you people. Think of the ten plagues that I brought upon Egypt. Think of the lives, the perhaps tens of thousands of lives sacrificed on your behalf, and there they were faithless. Faithless. And God was wrathful about it. And he had, he had, uh, he swore they'd never enter. That whole generation would die. Only, only uh, only these faithful men, Caleb and, and Joshua, would, would ever see the promised land. None of those people would ever. Matter of fact, if you really do a, a real in case study of this, you'll find that that whole generation had died. Before they went into Canaan, uh, Joshua would would circumcise every male there again because the the old generation had died off because of their unbelief, and all these men would be would be circumcised before they ever crossed the Jordan. That's another story, but it was a it was a new beginning for Israel Israelites because the people from forty years before had sinned against God, and so there's an indication there that he didn't tell anybody else that Joshua and these two men only knew about this. Uh, this uh, spy work that they were doing. And that was, that was probably smart because only two out of the last 12 had been faithful in that. So he sends out these two men and he wants to know about the city and to spy it out and bring him back the news. If we look in verse uh, 2 and 3, we see that the king wanted them and uh, their reput- rep- repetition, reputation had preceded them being Israelites. Now you can only imagine they heard in the wind they didn't have television. They didn't have the Internet, but they heard in the wind terrible things that happened in Egypt. And I want you to understand that that was, that was, uh, that was known. Horrible things that happened in Egypt to the Egyptians. And then just across the river, what had happened to these two Canaanite kings? they have been utterly destroyed, and here they come. Here they come. And they're very, very upset about this. And the king was told that there were spies, and he was paranoid, and his paranoia was very valid because that's exactly what they were, spies. Well, in verse 4, we see that she hid them, and she used misdirection. Uh, I didn't know they were Israelites. No doubt when they came to her, she might not have known that, but she did shortly afterwards, didn't she? And she told them she didn't know. And in verse 5, we see that, they left uh, after, dark, after dark, is what she told him. As soon as it got dark, those men left. And if you'll hurry, you might even catch them. You know, they uh, they shut the gates, it said, after, after the men left. That's, that's secure in the place. And then she concealed them with the flax stalks. I don't know what's in your mind, but I see a roof on her house, and you know, it's an arid country, and, and, uh, and a lot of countries are that way. They, they use uh, thatch, or they use grass, or something like that. And she had flax stalks, and I would assume that the flax was taken off and used, and these stalks were a byproduct, and you, it was good for roofing material. And she laid them in order, it says up there, and it was convenient for her to hide them there. And I want you to understand that their life was in jeopardy, too. Had they been caught, they would have been interrogated and then they certainly wouldn't have let him go and go back and report they would have killed him so this is a this is a game of this is a dicey game that's going on this is espionage you know today we have uh we have uh, spies within our country and we put spies in other countries and it's just like a bunch of uh, kids playing you know we catch their spies and they catch ours and nothing really's done too much uh, usually a trade is going on but there has been other things in our country that that uh that uh where people were executed for being spies because they gave out secrets that would uh, be detrimental to our country had these men been caught no doubt they would have been killed and so she's hit them in the roof and um, the search party goes out and the gates are shut so no one coming in no one going out and they're trying to cut them off at at these fords where they can uh, where they can catch them now verse 8 it says before they lay down she came up to them on the roof. And what I want you to see, if you can, I want you, you know, this story has a happy ending. Keep that in mind, a very happy ending, a very faithful ending. And it's a lesson that's been there for 3,000 years. It's a good lesson for us, too. And that is this. We were all once something, weren't we? And in some of our cases, not too good, were we? If, uh, if you're like me, you have things in your life you're not proud of. You have things in your life that you you may think about when you were younger and say, Why did I do that? Why was I so faithless in my actions and in my thoughts and in my movements? Why did I do something like that? But it's a good story in this. We can change. And God wants us to change. And this story is going to have a real good ending. I want you to know that. It's starting off a little rocky, but it has a good ending. And I don't want you to think bad about this woman, but I don't want to change God's word and say that she was something she wasn't. And there's a lot of good qualities to her that we're going to see if time permits. But she changed. She was a better person. And she became faithful, and she she really had a a great ending, as we'll see. She comes up, but I want you to, in your mind, I want you to try to picture the character of this woman and what she was made of. You know, to me, the the worst thing a, a character that a person can have is a nothing character. They're neither good, they're like the Laodicea, they're One. They're, they're neither good, they're not bad, they don't impress you in any way. Not that, not that they're bad or say things that, that, they don't do anything. They just go through life and you don't seem to have any, they're tasteless, colorless. They don't seem to have any character about it. She was full of character for sure. In verse 8, we see her. She goes up on the roof, and she wants an accord. She wants an agreement with these men. And she, before she laid down, it says she went up on the roof. And I want to read her testimony again. Listen to what this Canaanite woman, a prostitute, a Canaanite woman, think about her discernment. Look where she, what she said, verse 9 through 11. I know that the Lord has given you this land, and the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are fainthearted because of you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt, and that we, and, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Son and Og, who you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord... Your God, he is God, in heaven, above, and on earth beneath. And it's a shame the king of Jericho didn't feel that way, didn't it? It's a shame the nobles of Jericho didn't feel that way, but this woman, this prostitute, she believed, didn't she? You know, here's some things about her. You know, Matthew 21, verse 31, it's, Jesus said to the upper echelon, to the Pharisees, to the scribes, to those men who were thought to be very religious and pious, he said, assuredly I say to you that the tax collectors and the harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Have you ever wondered why? They didn't see any fault in themselves, did they? They didn't see any wrong. They thought, well, I'm better than most. Do you think that way about yourself? You know, the tax collectors were hated and the harlots. And he says, they enter before you because they recognize who they are. They recognize the sin in their life. They recognize the the uh, the uh, incorrect way that they live and, the, and they change. And when they hear the hope that they could be loved by God, that they could be redeemed by a Savior, that they could have a hope, too, of salvation, he says, they enter before you do. Because the others were self-righteous and pious, weren't they? Okay, well, let's look at something here. In uh, that verse 9 and through 11, she recognizes that, that their God is God. He is the only God. And she believes. And, of course, uh, she is accredited because of her belief, but it wasn't just a belief only. She acted upon that belief, which we will see. You know, in Romans 10 10, it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. She certainly did that. But it wasn't just, I believe and I spoke. She's going to act upon her belief, and we'll see that. We will certainly see that too. Okay. In verse 12 and 13, she wants them to make an agreement with her, and that is that her request is. she She's going to be obedient to them. She's going to help them. She's going to uh, do the things that will spare their life, but she wants something for, for that. Even as a harlot, we see that she loved her family, didn't she? Even as a harlot, we see that she wanted salvation, didn't she? And um, And so that is what's going on there. All right, in verse 14, the men answered her, and they said, our lives for your life. That tells you the seriousness of it. They knew they could die. They knew that they could be perished and uh, that they could perish. And so she wants, to, they want to make a deal. We'll exchange our lives for your life because she certainly would have been caught up in the destruction that was coming toward Jericho, would not she? I have this thing with my grandson. I, I don't mean to embarrass him, but um, we had a deal years and years ago and he was a little fella and, and uh, I told him, I said, I'll tell you what. Be and my granddad kind of had this deal too. I said, I'm you're a young kid right now and you need me is what I told him. I said, You need you need a little uh little things that Papaw can do for you. You know, I can buy this or I could help you with this. And I said, We're gonna do front end, back end. He said, What do you mean? And I said, I can do for you. I'm more able to do for you right now than you can do for me. So there'll be things you want me to do and I'll do it. But when I get old and aged, you're gonna help me. You're going to drive me around, and you're going to help me see that they uh, accomplish the things I want to do. So we made an accord many, many years ago. And I got reminded of that a couple of years ago down in Galveston. The kids go to Galveston every year. And his mom and dad would give him $30 or $40. And like all kids, guess where that money was by the time I got to Galveston? It was gone. <laughs> and he runs up to me kind of in a hushed tone. He says, Papa, how about $20? You got $20? And I said, Wait a minute. You've already spent all that money your mom and dad gave you. And he looked at me and he said, front end back end. <laughs> of course he got, the, he got the $20. They're wanting a front end back end. And it's very serious. It's very serious. Our lives for yours. And she make she makes the uh, she makes the deal. Verse 15. Where does she live? Where does she live? In the wall. That's gonna to come to play. We'll look at that. But remember that. Where did she live? She lived in a wall. Well, she tells him in verse sixteen, "Go to the mountains." She apparently knew the king's style that he would go immediately, and naturally he would. Uh, he'd shut the gates where no one could leave the city, and he would send the men th- to the most pro- uh, the most. Uh, uh, thought-out path that they would go. And where would that be? To the Jordan, to go back to the east side, back where the Israelites were. So they sent men out straightway, go to the fords, and look for them, go along the river. And I'm sure those men had torches and stuff, and they were looking for tracks and everything, trying to round these men. And she uses misdirection, tells them, go to the mountains. And so they go. Now, I looked it up. These were uh, rugged hills that rise 15 to 2,000 feet above the Jericho plain within a mile or so of the city. And they're limestone hill, limestone hills with many caves and grottos, and they were the very ones that the Dead Sea's were found. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in in uh, this century, so that's where they went. They they uh, she directed them there to go and to hide in the in those uh, caves and stay there three days. She had some indication of how long these men would go and and it would take them to get back. So they stayed there three days and then they left. Verse seventeen is. Uh, It's something I think we should look at because if I were to sum it up, I'd say follow the instructions to the T because this is is very close what they're doing here. It has to be exactly the way they agreed, exactly the accord that they have, any variation of it, and they're going to die. Any variation in Rahab is going to die. Any of her people would die. And and he tells them, he says, you you made us, first of all, you made us swear an oath by God, by our God. And we're going to keep that oath, but it has to be done exactly the way we said that. And so, um, you know, that's what makes me think today about a lot of religious people. They think they can take liberty with this word. They can do some of it. And some of it they can disregard and they can add to it or take it away or, or whatever they want to. There's no lesson in the Bible says that that's permissible. None. None. We've made an agreement. He, he who puts his hands on the plow and looks back is what? Not worthy of the kingdom. Because what's at stake? Our salvation's at stake. Our life. And you know, it's going to be black and white. It's going to be one way or the other. After this life is over, there is no second chance. You're going to be found in him, or you're going to be found without him. And there's no in-between. So they make that deal and tell her to follow the instructions to the T. Verse 18 and 19, we see the sign of the the, uh, scarlet cord. And, um, you know, we have what is called red light districts, and those are usually houses of ill repute. And that scarlet color is associated with prostitution. It probably has been since this time. Verse 21 tells us that she did all that was told her to do. She did it all. Well, here's some lessons that we can learn about her. One, that she was very credible by nature. Even the king of Jericho believed her, didn't he? He believed her and followed her instruction. The spies believed her, didn't they? They did. They made an accord with her. And her family believed her, too. What I like about this woman, and I see so many people that cannot do it, and I like this about this woman, she knew how to discern. You know, when sin gets fully ramped up, if you've ever noticed people that were once here and then they've let sin just just dominate them in life, I've always said this about it. The first casualty is discernment. The first casualty is discernment. When you get so caught up in sin that it consumes you, you don't even know how to think anymore. And it's almost a guarantee that when you do think, you're going to think wrongly. And that's, uh, she knew how to discern. Stay with me. She believed every word of what went on in Egypt. She'd never been to Egypt probably. She never saw Egypt. She didn't see those ten plagues. She didn't believed every word of what she heard in Egypt. She believed that God Almighty dried up the Red Sea and that people crossed the Red Sea. She believed that the Canaanite kings had been destroyed. And she believed that God is God and he's the God of heaven and he's the God of the earth. And she knew that Jericho would fall before it had fallen. She knew. She said, God's given you this. And she shames and condemns the religious world today a lot of times. Because they pick and choose. You know, when you read a commentary about the Red Sea, did you know you can't hardly read it without it sending you to the Reed Sea? Because they say it was reeds and the wind blew out of the east and they were just trotted across, got a little mud on their feet. That's not what the Bible said. It's not what the Bible said at all. Do you understand, have you ever gone to an ocean? All of us have, probably have been to an ocean. If you young kids have never been to an ocean, you ought to go to an ocean. I've been to the Pacific and to the Atlantic, And I've got to view it, and it goes out of sight. You look upon a body of water, and you can't see it. It goes beyond your your sight of pure water on the horizon. And they came to the Red Sea, and God parted the Red Sea, and he dried it up, and probably 2 million people crossed on dry ground. And she believed it. And scholars today don't even believe that, but she did. And uh, like I said, she shames and condemns those that do not believe. Well, turn with me to chapter 6. And we're going to see this story, and I'll quickly get through it because time is easing by. And I'll read the first five uh, verses. Now Jericho was, was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand, its kings and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All, uh, march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days." And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you shall march round the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make the long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people sh- shall shout with great shout, then the wall of the city will fall flat down, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Well, where did Rahab live? In the wall. And without going into too much detail, Jericho was known for its walls. It had double walls, and they were designed in such a way it was supposed to be a citadel. And this great city's walls would fall. And I've thought about this. Me and Nat have talked about it before. Can you imagine that great city that took all those people to go around it? And when that city fell, and it says the walls fell flat, there was one little section there with a red cord hanging out of it, and it didn't fall. That's where she lived. Isn't our God awesome? Isn't our God powerful that he can do that? What a story. What a story. And she lived in that wall, and she was spared. Look at verses 20 and 21 of that uh, chapter. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpet, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. Then the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. sword. Verse 25, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwelt in Israel to that day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent, to spy out Jericho. Well, such faith, right? We read about her faith in the New Testament as well, and there's a few verses there that I'd like to look at before we close that down this evening. In Hebrews 11:30 30, and 31, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies, with peace. She was a woman of faith. She believed. And what did that faith do? She acted in obedience according to the faith that she had. That's what God asked us all to do. You know, there is a whole, you know, millions of people today in Christianity, so, so Christianity, this is all you have to do is believe. And we know that James says the demons believe, but they don't obey, do they? They believe and they shudder because they know what's coming. But just say, I believe, and that's it. Well, what would that have done for Rahab? Nothing. It would have done nothing. She'd have been in the pile of the dead corpses out there. She believed, thus she acted. James 2.17 declares that by faith itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. It's dead. Worthless just to say I believe and have no, have no acts of obedience. And in verse 24 of James 2, it says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. The two have to go hand in hand. I believe thus I've acted. In verse 25, it says, Likewise, was not the Rahab the harlot also justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? and I'm thankful that the new testament writes of her because she was a very faithful woman. Well, in verse 25 of Joshua chapter 6 that we read it said that she that so she dwells in Israel to this day. And uh because she hid the messengers whom Joshua had sent out to spy. Well, you know, how is that? It says that they were originally put outside the camp her and her family, and it said but she dwells in Israel today. Well, what happened was this. History tells us that Rahab and her descendants were assimilated into Israel. Israel, uh, they were absorbed into the to the people of Israel. And uh, we read a very interesting thing. I said it ended on a good note. It really does. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, there it says that... Uh, Let's, let's read verse 5. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And in verse 5 it says, Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. Obed beget Jesse. Verse 6, and Jesse beget David, the king. She married a man in the tribe of Judah. And through her descendants, through her legacy, she was part of the seed line of Christ. That's how God uh, can use us. That's how God can reward us. You now, Paul said something about heaven, and he said that the human mouth, this is me paraphrasing, but the human mouth, the utterance of our languages would never be able to express the glory that awaits for the faithful. I've often wondered, I don't, you know, if you're like me, you want to get to heaven with all your heart. And once you get there, you don't care what, it, what it's going to be like, because you know it's going to be beyond your imagination, and it's true. And I'd like to spend more time dwelling on heaven and what I'm going to do there and what the possibilities and ramifications could be, but the main thing is I just want to get there. I want to get there, and I know it'll be great. Look what God did with this one. Look what he did with it. A young woman who was a prostitute. A young woman who saved herself, saved her mother and her daddy, saved her brothers, saved her family. She might have had children, too. I don't know. No, apparently not. She wasn't married, but she had brothers and sisters. That makes us think she was a young woman. And look what she's She's in the seed line of Christ. And if you look at other women like Tamar and some of these other women, they weren't what we would call the... Uh, the uh deputants of the day but god always has used the weak things hasn't he hasn't he? thus me and you have a chance don't we because we're weak too sometimes aren't we what a wonderful story jesus said in matthew seventeen twenty. jesus said to his uh, disciples there if you had the faith of mustard seed you would say to this mountain move from here and there and it would move nothing would be impossible for you if we only had faith what god can do for us This woman had faith, and it moved her to act. She saved her life and the lives of her family. Well, that brings us to us. The story's yours. I'm going to stop there. Do you believe in God? If you've never acted upon your faith, listen to me a moment. Do you believe in God? Can you confess, will you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Would you repent of your sins? You know, the Bible says if we don't repent, we'll likewise perish. That's to all of us. If we don't repent of our sins, we're going to perish. Repent of our sins, confess his name before men that he is Jesus the Christ, and serve him faithfully. And part of serving him faithfully is obeying his word, and he asks us to be baptized, to wash away those sins, and to rise up out of that water a new creation. And if you haven't done that tonight, you could do that. And here's another thing too. If our life is marred in sin and you're struggling with it and you need help, what people could you come to and ask for prayers that would understand it any better than we do? Because I am convinced that none of us are here tonight. None of us go to church here. None of us profess to be Christian because we're so good that we couldn't be kept out. I think that we all recognize our need and the need that... uh, that God has the the need that we have and the provision that God's made through His beloved Son. If you're subject tonight to the gospel, come to as we stand and we sing.